We've been talking about ministering to you. I've been waiting for a long time to do this, been studying, been reading. Um, I've just been, over the last few years, very troubled with non-believers telling me who Jesus is and what he said. And I'll just be, be blunt with you. I'm troubled with politicians telling me who Jesus is and what Jesus said. Um... We in the church have to stand up and say, no, this is really what he said. You know that back in that, did you get the bracelet? I didn't get the bracelet. What would Jesus do? You know, that was real popular. But how many of you know, um, we don't have to wonder what Jesus would do. We already know what he done did. And we know what he said. And so um, in order to believe something, in order for something to be scriptural, what do you need? Scripture. Scripture. Right? You need the word. And all the word's good. Amen. There's different dispensations, but how many of you know the Ten Commandments are still a go? <laughs> right? Because we could go through them right now. You all know them, right? I don't know that I can list them from top to bottom, uh, but I, 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 you know, I could get most of them and you can help me. Uh, and, and you know, we don't talk about them much, and I don't think you need them posted everywhere. Um, but this is the deal. Uh, none of them are bad, and God hasn't changed his mind about any of them. And so if anything, listen to me, if anything was a sin in Leviticus, you'd still be in a sin today. So you can't throw it away. And so when Jesus was on the earth, he was preaching to them during the time of the old covenant. And he used the word. Used it quite masterfully. He is the word I know, but he used the word. And that's how he won victories. And that word still works today. Amen. So you can grab a hold of something in Isaiah and use it and you will win. Like no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you, you go ahead and condemn it. Amen. It's your privilege as a righteous person. So we've been just studying what Jesus said. And so I divided this into four groups. And I don't know how long I'm going to minister on this. But I find this really intriguing. So the first group he ministered to were the multitudes. And the multitudes he had messages for. And we looked at the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plains. And I didn't go through all of it because you can read too. Because if I just took every one of those, we're going to be on this for, you know, five or six years. Which would be great because it's the word. And you can always pull things in. But I just highlighted things that the Lord gave me to highlight. And in the multitude, there were those who came to be healed. They just really came to get their healing, but he made them listen because the word will stay with you. And he, and so he preached them. And in the multitude were his disciples, not just 12, not just 70, but you know, hundreds of people that followed him around. And then third, uh, there were always the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, yeah, the Sadducees, the Sadducees and the scribes. Uh, the lawyers, those kind of people who were there to find something to find fault. So anyone who's finding fault all the time, the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. So anybody who's always criticizing things and criticizing everybody else, they sit in the seat of the scornful and they have a religious spirit. It's a demonic spirit. Critical people, everybody criticizing, everybody finding fault. It's part of religion. And then you see, that, so, that, so he answered them. And man, when Jesus answered them, he didn't spare nothing. He told them what was up, how it was up. You're a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers full of dead man's bone. You're of your father, the devil, he said. He wasn't playing. 
Who wasn't he playing with? The religious. And then uh, he ministered individually. And last week we looked at uh, the, the centurion and we looked at the Syrophoenician woman. And today I'm going to continue uh, to look at um, how Jesus dealt individually with people. And I really am down here for a purpose because I want to look in your eyeballs and I need to, do need you to help me. Because I believe there has to be a shift in the church in the United States about how we see people. I remember a number of years ago, uh, two, three years ago, I was praying, and the Lord asked me, he, and it was an interesting question, and I have no idea why he asked me and not somebody else, but he asked me, when did my harvest become the enemy? He asked me, when did the lost ones become your enemy? And all the rhetoric... And all the nastiness that against people, listen, we all live here and everything's not perfect, but you're of a kingdom, the kingdom of light, and you're supposed to be salty and salty good, and you're supposed to be the light, and I'm supposed to be the light. So this is a weighty question, but you and I, and whether you get it or not, I am trying to get the heart of God for how Jesus individually ministered to those who were lost. And I'm trying to divide it out. And so I want to start here, Luke chapter 18. Uh, we'll look at the amplifier. What did I say? King James first. Let's do King James first. Are y'all with me? You got to help me preach fast. So he said this parable unto certain who trusted them in themselves that were righteous and they despised others. So he's talking to someone who's a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a scribe, and they despised others and they thought they were very righteous. And verse 10, we'll read it real quick. Two men went up to the temple to pray. The one was a Pharisee. Oh, he, so Jesus labeled him. And the other was a publican. That's a tax collector. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood up and prayed thus with himself. <laughs> I love the fact that he prayed. That Jesus said he's praying with himself. In other words, God didn't hear, God's not really listening. He's praying so everybody can hear him. And he's praying with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as the other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. He even pointed out a, 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 you know, a sinner there. Hallelujah. All right, verse 12. It said this, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Verse 13, and the publican standing far off would not lift up his eyes unto heaven, but smote himself on the breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Let's look at this in the Amplified Classic. Let's, let's extend it out. Hallelujah. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves and were confident that they were righteous. That they were upright and in right standing with God and scorned and made nothing of all the rest of men. Verse 10, two men went up, Jesus said, into the temple and closure to pray. The one was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee took his stand ostentatiously. That's a big word for me. And began to pray thus before and with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of men, extortioners or robbers or swindlers, unrighteous in heart and life, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. 
I fast twice a week. How many of you know fasting's right, but if you take pride in it, it does absolutely no good? Fasting is not for God. It's to put your body under. It doesn't twist the arm of God. It's not for something for you to brag about. It's really you having to put your body under so that you can hear for God. It is an extra step just because your flesh is too loud, and it's really not something to be proud of. I give tithes. How many know you're supposed to give tithes? You're going to hear that around here? But you can't rest this scripture because a lot of people will pluck this out and say, see, God is not impressed with your tithes. That is not what he's saying. Uh, they, 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 they tithe, and the Lord said another place, good for you. But don't forget righteousness and justice and all the other things. I give tithes of all that I gain, verse 13. But the tax collector, the other guys merely standing at the distance, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he kept striking his breast, saying, Oh, God, be favorable, be gracious, be merciful to me, especially the wicked sinner that I am. Now, I want to tell you something. This is a man he's saying that you and I, after we're born again, we're no longer wicked sinners. But we got to understand that that's where they are and, and, and how the Lord looks at it. All right? Let's, let's verse 14. What did Jesus say? I tell you, this man went down to his home justified. Why? Because with a humble heart, he asked God to forgive him. He said, I'm a sinner. I'm wicked. How about the guys on the cross? One of them, uh, you know, uh, rebuked Jesus, made fun of Jesus. The other said, you know, forgive me. And he said, I'll see you in paradise. The differences of heart is what God is talking about. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified, forgiven, made upright, and right hand with God rather than the other man. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. I want you to see this is Jesus talking to, through parable, religious people. The Lord is irritated with religiosity because it has a demon behind it, because it substitutes relationship with God with something you can do in your own own thing. And we've got to be careful as God-fearing, God-believing people that we don't substitute the righteousness which Jesus gave us to getting some high and mighty and snooty and thinking all that we're all that, you know, in a bag of chips. We are nothing without Jesus. We are nothing without his blood. The, the, the prosperity, the health, the life that we have is because of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Without him, you can't even breathe in and out properly. You can't think properly. You can't do anything without him. And how dare us ever to get into a place where we think we're more than, in, you know, we think something of ourselves. In yourself, you are nothing. In yourself, you can do nothing. In yourself, you can be nothing. In yourself, you don't have anything. But thank God I'm not in me anymore. I'm in him. And in him, I can do all things. In him, I have the mind of Christ. In him, I can be whatever he called me to be. In him, I can do all things because he strengthens me. Are you with me? You understand him? And so what Jesus is against, and you're going to find out later if we keep going on this, is religion just irritated him because of the demon behind it that replaced relationship. But how did he deal with sinners? So let's look at um, these publicans. What are they? These are IRS agents in our day. These are the tax collectors. These are the crooked ones. These are the deep state. I'm going there. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. We're going to read a lot of scripture, so listen fast. 
And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican, tax collector named Levi, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said to him, follow me. So here's this tax collector. And uh, I, everybody assumes they're all bad. He, he, he left all. Everybody say he left all. Rose up and did what? Followed him. Verse 29. And Levi made a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with them. But their, scribe, but their scribes and their Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Or I would say it like this. He's just saying, Y'all think you're fine and I can't deal with you and I'm not going to deal with you, but I am going to go help somebody who wants my help. I came not to call the righteous, and, he, and they aren't righteous, but they thought they were righteous. They were deceived, they were self-deceived, and he wasn't messing with them. He said, but I came to call sinners under repentance. Let's look at uh, Zacchaeus. Y'all remember Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Talks about Zacchaeus. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was a chief among the publicans, and he was rich. Verse 4, he sought to see Jesus, uh, who, he, uh, who he was, and he could not for the press because he was a little of stature, his little dude. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see uh, for the Lord he wanted to see. For he was going to pass that way. Verse 5, I do remember. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must abide at your house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone with a guest that's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I'm going to give them to the poor. And I have faked or I have taken anything or stolen anything from any man by false accusation. I'm going to return it to him fourfold. That's a lot. Verse 10, no, verse 9. And Jesus said to him, This day salvation come into this house, for as much also as he is son of Abraham. And for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which are lost. So here we've got publicans, we've got sinners, we've got the chief sinner, the chief uh, shyster, we've got the chief messed up dude, and, and he was interested in, in Jesus. And, and so I want, to point these two, I want to point these things out. When it came to Levi, Jesus called, saw him, he called him, he must have noticed something about him, and Levi followed him, left everything, left everything, left everything behind. We don't hear about him later, but he was just like one of the disciples, who, like Peter, who left his fishing business. Levi did the same thing. We may not find out about him later, but I'm telling you, this man, he took a great risk and he followed Jesus. And then what he decided to do was, I want to let all my friends, who are all publicans and sinners, meet the man that just changed my life. And so they had a big feast together, and Jesus and his disciples sat down with sinners. Now listen, now you and I who are born again, our bestest buds ought to be a band of brothers, ought to be someone like that. But we're not afraid, so afraid of sinners, that all their sin is going to get on us. But listen, if it does, then you're not ready for this. Because you ought to be able to go among them and let it not get on you. What you got ought to get on them. 
instead of what they got get on you. And if you find out what they got is getting on you, you need to pull back again and get with your band of brothers or your, your, your uh, I don't know what the white right word for sister in is, but, but you need to get with your, your group of girls and you need to hang that way. But we're not afraid to, to minister to them. And Jesus was not afraid to minister. So he wasn't opposed, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were all up in arms. We're righteous people. We don't mess with those kind of people. But that's not what Jesus said. I came to seek and save that which was lost. Today, you and I in the church, we are come. We picked up Jesus' mantle. We picked up what Jesus was called to do. And his number one thing to us was go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. We have come to do what? We have come to seek and save that which is lost. We can't save them, but it seems as though God has made it this way, that he's ordained you and I to go tell them as ministers of reconciliation because he's came, he's come for the lost. And when it came to Zacchaeus, he climbed, listen to me, he made an effort. Everywhere the religious people went, they, their effort was to trap Jesus. Their, their effort was to argue with Jesus. Their effort was, you're not going to come and replace what we've done. We've made this hand, we're the first church of the hand washers. We've got this thing all tight. We've got this thing the way it ought to be. We've left, because remember, they were so proud. They said, why do your disciples leave the traditions of our fathers? And Jesus said, why did your fathers leave the word of God? In other words, you've made all these rules up and you've made all this stuff up and it don't have anything to do with God. He said, the Sabbath... (laughs) was not created for you that you know you were supposed to be enjoying the sabbath and having a relationship with the father you made it something that it wasn't what is our heart supposed to be what what did he say to Zacchaeus he's like you he made Zacchaeus made an effort so anytime Jesus sees a sinner whose heart's coming towards him he runs after him he's like dude i see you up there come on down and then he said this I must go to your house today. I must go. You climbed up in that tree. You, you rich. Um, uh, he's rich. Everybody's afraid of him. And this man climbs up in a tree like a little boy so he can see Jesus. Jesus, I must come. Get down. I'm going to come to your house. And then when he went there, then something happened. At the end, what did Jesus say? Salvation. How could... How could he say that when he hadn't died yet? All that salvation is, is coming to your house today. I don't mean he wasn't born again. He couldn't be born again. But all this, a a pre-thing to what salvation, it's come to your house today. Why? Because you just got, what does salvation do? It changes somebody. I've been doing this a long time. And I love to watch people and watch them hang. Especially if I know how they were before Jesus. I've watched people with my own eyes go from somebody I'd like to punch because they're mean and they're nasty. And I've seen them do things that if my wife wasn't there, I really would have liked because just ornery, mean, nasty. And then I saw them walk down here with their wife who I wanted to tell, let them go. I will help you let them go. And she wouldn't. 
She held on. And I saw him walk down to a front, and, I, and he got born again. And he changed. And I've had many testimonies, but there's one that just stands out, slaps you in the face of, look what the Lord can do. He can change a heart. Half of the United States needs a heart change. They need a Savior. They need a Lord. That's what they need. That's what they need. That's what they need. Jesus said salvation has come to your house today. And how do we know salvation came? Because he said, look at here. I'm going to have to... Give half of what I got to the poor. I still believe, because he was a wealthy, wealthy man. He's still going to do all right. And then he said, if I stole from anybody, you know he stole from everybody. That's who he is. Everybody knows him. He's not, he's little, he's mean, he's a thief. And he said, I'm going to give him back fourfold. That's a lot. And Jesus said, salvation has come to your house. Amen. How did Jesus deal with the... So he, he wanted the religious to know, I am not impressed with your fake righteousness. And when you talk that way and you pray that way, my father's not listening. Because he told them in a parable, but they were all standing right there. Because a lot of times they would look at him and say, are you talking about us? And uh-huh, I'm talking about you. Because their righteousness, their, the way they looked, the way they did things, the way they acted, who they excluded. Religion is about exclusion. You get in our club by acting like we do, looking like we do, talking like we do. Jesus, yes, the only way you, he can include everybody is to get born again. They're excluded by choice. But he is very inclusive, meaning that if you'll get born again, I'll change your life and and I'll make you one of us and I'll make you righteous and I'll make you holy and I'll heal you and I'll provide for you and you'll be part of a family and you'll be part of a kingdom. Amen. And then I like this one. How did he deal with sinners? Do you remember um, the man with the legion? How many of you you remember uh, this man was so possessed? In Matthew's account, there's two guys. Um, that doesn't mean the scripture's wrong in Luke and, and in Mark. It just means that uh, uh, the Holy Ghost chose really to focus on the one man, and I believe because of what he did. But there were two that were possessed that were both totally free. And remember, all those demons ran into the pigs, and all those ribs were gone and lost. And that was a sad day. And so, but, but, and, and remember, uh, I'm not going to take time to read it, but remember uh, uh, when, when the man with the legion was in his right mind and clothed, remember he used to cut himself. Cutting is not new. It's always been demonic. I said, cutting is not new. It's always been demonic. The devil loves self-mutilation. His biggest thrill is when, when suicide. The devil loves self-mutilation. And, and so the, he cut himself. Uh, how, how awful this. He was naked. They had to bind him with chains. I've been in some prisons in the nation of Brazil where I've seen people fully demon-possessed, and they had to put them in chains. They didn't know what it was. 
But I, I've seen some people that, that are supernaturally strong. I tell stories in Brazil, this one woman one time where we were in a meeting and, and she manifested a demon and the pastors didn't know what to do. And so they were trying to calm her down. And, and I'll never forget this woman. She had salt and pepper hair and she had a black T-shirt on and she was tossing pastors. And my spiritual mother, Nancy, said, Mark. Go back and take care of that. And I thought to myself, get somebody else. Pick somebody else. And then I remember walking down the aisle and, oh, the Holy Ghost dropped on me. And God did and I did and she shut up and got saved. Hallelujah. But I'm just telling you, this, uh, this demon thing is, is very real. You don't have to go looking for them. You don't have to be afraid of them. But if one shows up, you got the goods to get rid of it. You got a name. So anyway, so this man, Jesus cast the demons out. And it, I'll just throw this in there. And you don't need to talk to demons. Dem Jesus did one time. He asked a name. It is not a pattern. It is not something you go around and do. And why would you spend time talking to demons? All they do is lie. So anyway, don't do any of that. That is ridiculous. All right? So uh, if the Lord ever inspires you, then do it. But it's not a doctrine. It's not something you go around doing. Because you have a name. His name is Jesus. And it's above every name. So he did that particularly, but uh, there's not a pattern here. And so anyway, um, what happened is then the man's in his right mind, fully clothed. Hallelujah. The pigs are dead. The people come out and say, uh, Jesus, could you leave, please? Because this is some weird stuff going on here. And, you know, uh, I don't know why they wanted to keep their demon-possessed man, uh, but he's in his right mind in his clothes. And remember, and so I want to pick it up um, in Luke 38, Luke 8, um, let's see, verse 38. Can we go to Luke 8, verse 38? How did Jesus deal with the lost? How many of you know if you've got a demon that's, whether you understand this or not, even in the old covenant, you don't just get a demon. You have yielded yourself. You yield. That's the way you get them. They, they tempt, but you yield to them. And then not everybody who's living in sin has a demon. But this man really yielded himself. And he invited a whole bunch of stuff in. And so he's the messed up of the messed up. Society said, leave him alone. Let him be chained up. If he wants to be naked, let him be naked in a cave. <coughs> we'll throw him some food or whatever, but we're staying away from him. And Jesus came by and helped him. You know, he could have left him like that. You know, he could have left him like that. You know, the storm on the way was probably caused by the man, the demons that were in that man. Because they knew everywhere Jesus was. Jesus was never content to leave people where they were. He's always going to try. He's always going to undo what the devil did. That's what you and I are called to do. You see somebody in a mess, we're not supposed to go, that's your problem. Well, you shouldn't have done that. It's your problem. You get what you, whatever. Come on, I just want to change my heart and your heart. <coughs> are you with me? What's Jesus displaying here? Compassion and mercy. Anybody glad he was compassionate and merciful to you? Listen, 
Jesus brought me up out of a dunghill. I ain't playing. He brought me up out of a dunghill. I'm grateful. And if you've been doing this a while, don't ever get to the place where you think you're so special that you've been doing this. Now, you've got to cooperate with the Holy Ghost, and you've got to do the Word, and you've got to put your body under. There's a lot of yous, but it's all him. It said, and the man whom the devils uh, were departed besought him, saying, um, I want to go with you. And Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your own house. Show them the great, how many know when he shows up, that's a big change. He shows up how great things God has done for you. And he went his way and published. Everybody say published. How do you know something happened here? Well, yes, he's in his right mind. Yes, he's fully clothed. But then he went, Jesus turned him loose on that city, on that area. It's Decapolis. There's about 10 uh, smaller cities there. And he turned him loose. And Jesus went back there. And I think the accounts show that when he went back, he had, because remember the people sent Jesus away. We need you to leave, please. They didn't say please. Leave. Well, you would think they would be excited, but the power of God scared them. The power of God scared them. What is this? They didn't know what it was. It scared them. Please leave. And he said, let's fix this. You're in your right mind. I want you to go tell everybody. Go back to your home. I want you. And the Bible says he went and published it. Throughout the whole city, how great things Jesus had done to him. And I think if you can you track things out, Jesus went back and uh, he had some healing there. I believe it's also a place where he fed the 4,000. Uh, he, he did some good things there. Because this man, after his life was changed, you could say salvation. Uh, he wasn't born again, but salvation came to him. And he went and told everybody about Jesus. And then he even prepared the way for Jesus to do something in other people's lives. As a pastor, one of the coolest things I like is when I see somebody get born again. And the next week I see somebody from their family. And the next week I see somebody else from another family. I see a friend. I see a neighbor. What does that mean? God has done something in my life. And I'm telling people. And that's the greatest witness is right then, right now. When somebody gets back to God, somebody gets born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, that's a great time to turn them loose. Well, they don't know anything. They know that they're changed. That's what they know. They know that something happened. That's what they know. They're a real witness. Amen? Hallelujah. And so he did that. So that's, that's the man with the legion. Let's look at verse 40 just to finish it up. And it came to pass that when Jesus was turned, uh, well, that was in Galilee. Anyway, okay, let's move on. All right, how about this one? Y'all know this one. How did Jesus deal with individuals? We see how he dealt with the multitudes. I'm telling you a little bit how he dealt with religious people. But how did he deal? So how did he deal with, the, with Levi? How did he deal with uh, Zacchaeus? How did he deal with this man that had a legion of demons? We see that Jesus uh, ministered to them. We see that Jesus had compassion on them. We see that Jesus helped them. But listen to me, every one of them responded. Levi responded. How did Levi respond? He left everything. He, he left everything. How did Zacchaeus respond? Well, he initiated it because Zacchaeus got it up a tree because he wanted to see Jesus. And that, that move, that move on his part, being the biggest uh, thief in town, being the, the, the tax collector who everybody hated, Jesus saw him make a move. And so Jesus, by the Holy Ghost, responded back to him, went to his house, talked to him, obviously. And then now for Jesus to say, salvation has come to your house, something pretty big happened to Zacchaeus where he 
he's given half of everything he got to the poor. Well, am I supposed to give half to everything poor? Well, if the Lord don't tell you that, then no. Should you care about the poor? You should. The Bible says if you give to the poor, you've lent to God and he'll repay. That's a pretty good deal. And then he's going to restore everybody he stole from, which was everybody, fourfold. Salvation came to his house. You got this man who was possessed. We just look at it. But listen to me. This man was a bad man before he got even possessed with demons. You're not a good person. He has opened himself up to demons. And this man opened himself, opened himself, opened himself. He wanted to be meaner. The meaner he got, the nastier he got, the meaner and nastier he wanted to be. And then when Jesus saw so much demonic power in this man, caused a storm for Jesus as they were coming. That's when he said, peace be still. A demonic storm. And then Jesus gets there anyway and, and, and sets him free. Sets him free. And now he's in his right mind. And he's clothed. Come on, how many people... That you wonder in the United States are just, oh, they're just demonic, nasty, um, oh, hateful people. If they didn't live here, this place would be great. Listen to me. That's the harvest. Where you work. Man, I just wish I worked where they were all Christians. I just wish they were non-religious Christians. But no, you're the light. You've been sent. Come on, please help me. I've been praying for years that every industry, every part of this city, government, industry, space industry, uh, uh, school systems, that's public, uh, the, the colleges, we've been praying that every area would be touched by this church. So we need some light. Well, the Lord sent me here. Why? Yes, to make money. Yes, so that you can tithe. Yes, so that you can take care of your family. But he sent you there to be a light. Hallelujah. So, the woman at the well. We all know her, right? So, you look in John's gospel, chapter 4. We're not going to look at it. Uh, I don't know what we're going to look at. But look at. So, here she is. You all know her. She's a Samaritan, right? And so how many know at this time Jesus came only for uh, the lost sheep of Israel? So Samaritans, you know, are very, um, they're uh, a mixed race people. They're not thought of highly by the Jews. Those are the ones that they call dogs. So here we got this. And so Jesus, uh, this woman, you know, so in in John chapter 4, I like this in verse 4. It says, and he must needs go through Samaria. So it's like he, w- he was assigned to go this way by the Holy Ghost. So I'm just wondering if this woman didn't have her heart crying out to God or something. That the Holy Ghost, even though Jesus was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, said, we need to take a detour. I don't, I don't know all of it here, but I do know it says he must needs go through. And so it comes to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And this is kind of the only thing that happened there. So I'm guessing he, I just think he was sent there. And there, uh, verse 7, there was a woman there, a Samarian, 
uh, to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me something to drink. And so, uh, so they're at a natural well. And so Jesus is thirsty. And he said to the woman, he said, give me something to drink. And then we get into a living water conversation. So it's interesting that there, he's there for something natural, but the Holy Ghost turned what was natural into something very spiritual that we still preach off of today. We have a whole class in Bible Institute called Praise Life that's built off of John chapter 4, this lesson that Jesus gave this woman. And the Holy Ghost showed me something last night that I've never seen before about this. And I've been preaching on this for 35 years, and I'm very excited to tell you, so I might as well just be quiet and tell you what I got. So, But, but here's this woman, and they're having a living water, and she doesn't understand, but Jesus said, if you knew who was standing in front of you, you'd ask me, and I'd give you living water, and you'd never thirst again, and she's thinking natural, she's like, I don't ever want to come to this well again, give me this water, and then uh, they're talking, and then we get to the meat of the thing, he said, uh, go get your husband, so now the gifts of the Spirit are in operation, the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, word of knowledge first, go get your husband, and then she's like, um, I ain't married, and he said, you're right, the man with you, you're living with is not your husband. Then how many did she have? Yeah, I knew. I just didn't know if you knew. And I say this all the time. Now listen to me. A man or a woman who's been married five times and currently living with somebody, they've given up on marriage, currently living with someone that they're not. Now listen to me. What does Jesus think about adultery? No, come on. What does he think? Of, don't, don't, go, don't go scared on me. What does he think about adultery? It's a sin. Right? It's one of the top ten, right? Does he play with it? No, because even you look at the religious people, when they began to talk to him about it, he's like, you know, y'all got this messed up anyway. And, and, you know, talking about Moses gave this and da, 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 da. And he's like, uh, uh, it's not, you know, it's a covenant thing. It's not, you're not supposed to depart. But, but listen, and that's his standard. But this woman is an adulterous woman of all women. And he ministers to her anyway. So listen. You've got to understand when it comes to religion and they think they got it all together, it is a standard. But here, this woman who is a sinner who doesn't know Jesus and he treats those who know him different than he treats those who don't know him. And I don't know why you and I think those who don't know him, who have a fallen nature, can act right, do right, talk right, and be right. Because you and I can barely do it sometimes and we know better. No excuses, because we have the ability, right? And so he's talking to this woman, and he's like, yeah, you're right. You've had five. What is, what is the woman? I say it all the time, but listen, her heart, her emotions, she's messed up. Some, she's let men use and abuse her. She can't live without them, but she can't live with them. I'm not trying to be funny, but she's got a big problem. This is a heart problem. This is a soul problem. She's living in and practicing adultery. And Jesus knows it by the Holy Ghost. And he doesn't say, whoop, can't help you. Get straightened up. Hopefully you'll understand when I get resurrected and get born. No, he, he, didn't, he didn't stop with her. You know what he began to do? Oh. You know what he began to do? Because uh, after that, she's like, I, I think you're a prophet. And then he went from, she said in verse 19, I think you're a prophet. And then uh, she said, um, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You say that Jerusalem is the place that men ought to worship. So she brings up the subject of worship. Her heart 
is curious, what is worship? It is the most intimate thing you can do with God. What was she trying to find in those five, six guys plus intimacy? Her heart knows that is broken. I need somebody to fill something in me. And I think she thinks, did the Holy Ghost, this woman crying out maybe to God, send Jesus off mission for this one person? Would he do that? Does he care that much about one person? Does he care? Did he rearrange somebody's life to minister to me? Did he talk to me out loud when I wasn't serving him? Does he care that much about people? That Jesus is on mission to the house of Israel and to go to a cross. And there's this woman who's a Samaritan who doesn't have a covenant, who's been living like a heathen, who must have cried out to God. And Jesus was rearranged to go to her to get her the answer to her heart. True worship will fix your problem, dear lady. Intimacy with God. Woo! And then she's like, are you the Messiah? <laughs> you know, I heard the Messiah was coming, and he, he was really strong with her, said, I'm him. She, she knew, listen to me, this woman knew some stuff. No, no, you don't understand. This woman knew some stuff. She knew some stuff. Her heart to God, she was messed up of all messed up. But she knew some stuff. She knew, you all say that this mountain, she even knew where she lived. This mountain, this is where you worship. This well is precious to you. And Jesus took what she knew and he turned it spiritual. And, he, and the cry of her heart for intimacy, he taught her something that I've taught off of for 35 years to help people get intimate with God. And he taught her one-on-one. -on -one. And he changed her life. And then she did something. She went back to these guys. I love it. You know, the Bible says she went back to the men. I think the men were comfortable with her. The women may not have been. I don't know if this is men only, but I'm perceiving on this one it is. And she told him, he, there's a man that told me everything about me. And, and then the Bible says some of them believed. And then Jesus was like, I like her. I'm going to follow her in, and I'm going to see what we can do in there. And then another guy gave this testimony. Uh, some of us believe because of what you, the woman, said, but then others believe because the, Jesus told them for themselves. And I believe this group of people was waiting when Jesus was raised from the dead. They're like, Jesus is the Son of God. He was raised from the dead. And I, some of these could have been part of the 120. 
Could have been. Woo! How does he deal individually with people? And then you know this one. John chapter 8. Another woman caught in adultery. Now you all know this one. This one is just wild. You know, what did the religious people do? They knew this woman. So she's in adultery, meaning she's married. And then the guy she's with is married, but we don't know who he is. <laughs> he may have been one of them. We don't know. They set, because what are they trying to do? Set Jesus up. Why? Because adultery is one of the big ten. He talked a lot about adultery to the multitudes. He talked a lot about, ministered a lot on adultery to the religious. Adultery is a no-no. It's a sin against the covenant. It's, it's wrong. God does not approve of it. And he's, he's been very matter-of-fact about it. It's wrong. Even so much, it's like if you do things in your mind. Epis. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's a big deal to him. And to minister to the woman at the well, when somebody's heart comes to him, he, come on, he's so good. Even before his blood was available to cleanse us. What my heart is trying to get you, what the Holy Ghost is trying to get you, is how God sees people who are sinners, who are hungry towards him. How he will move heaven and earth. That's why Jesus came. That's why he came. Not, not for the healthy, not for the self-righteous, but for those of us who figured out we can't do this on our own. We need a Savior. And so in John chapter 8, so here's this, uh, this woman. Um, I, I teach out of this one because I had a book called No Longer Shackled. I'm reworking it, turning it into a workbook. Going to give it its original name that I let my publisher talk me out of. It's going to be called Go and Sin No More. Uh, that's what the Lord gave me, and I don't know why I let somebody talk me out of it. But... Um, so we're working on it, aren't we, Doris? And so uh, um, it's next. Um, so, but John chapter 8, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives in the morning. And then um, the scribe, verse 3, 8, 3. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought him a woman taken in adultery. Sat her in the midst. How horrifying. Master, this woman was taken in adultery, the very act. Now Moses in the law... And did Moses in the law command this? It did. She should be stoned. What you going to do about it? They said this to do what? Tempt him. Why? Because the religious, they don't understand God being merciful and kind to sinners. Because unless you do it their way, with their prescription, with their approval, it's not God. I don't know how much, one of the things I want you to walk away with today, God despises religion because it is a man-made way to get to God. He doesn't despise order because God is not chaotic. But religion is man-made and he despises it. And so (laughs) they tempted him, but Jesus stooped down and I all want to know, and everybody in this room wants to know what he wrote. But I also heard uh, Brother Keith Moore say this, and it really struck me, that Jesus is waiting on the Holy Ghost. Because what they're saying is right, 
But then he knows the compassion and the mercy of God. How are we going to get out of this situation? Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and said this. Now this is Holy Ghost wisdom. He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And then he stooped down and began to write again. Ooh, I want to see it. And they which heard it being convicted in their own conscience. Why? Because they knew. They'd done stuff too. They went out one by one from the oldest to the youngest. I had a minute, that last guy standing there. I wonder who he was. And the woman standing in the midst and Jesus lifted himself up and, and he saw none but the woman. So he wasn't looking at them. He was letting the Holy Ghost deal with them. Woman. Where are those that, where are your accusers? Hath no man condemned you? Then she said, no man, Lord. Now watch. So it's not God, listen to me, God is not okay with adultery. God is not okay with fornication. What is fornication? Fornication is sex outside of a real covenant of marriage. Not I've been living together and in God's eyes we're married. That's a bunch of baloney. That's your made up thing. Any man who tells you that is not looking out for you and he won't look out for you. Do it right. Yeah, but, my, yeah, but nothing. Praise the Lord. The truth is the truth. Right? Because if you're going to be mad at one thing, you have to be, if, if one thing is going to honk you off and say the, the, the United States is burning down, if one, one part of it, one part of sexual sin is going to honk you off, all of it's got to honk you off. So that includes adultery, fornication, same sex, pornography, all of it. Same sin, same devil. So don't get, don't get selectively mad. That's why you can't follow them. You can't follow them. You can only follow the Lord. You can't trust in them. They can't deliver you. They mostly can't even make your life better. She's caught in adultery. And the Lord says this, neither do I condemn thee. But he didn't stop there. When you have an encounter with God, you can do the rest of this. Go and sin no more. Everybody say go and sin no more. He didn't leave her there. He didn't leave, he, with his words, he empowered her to live victoriously. Even before his death, burial, resurrection. With his words, he just empowered her to do better. With his words, that if she walked, Jesus said, go and do this no more. I have power not to, go, not to do that anymore. How much, come on, y'all, we can do this, right? I always talk to the preacher and tell him to get done sooner. But he's working on it. But I'm not going to cut you short either. I want you to think of this. Remember Peter? Man, did he mess up. I don't know him. I don't know him. Cuss, cuss. I don't know him. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Not only was he done serving God, he was such a leader, he got the rest of them to go back fishing. Even you and I, let's not mess up. 
Let's not sin. Let's live in a way free. But know this, anybody that you know that's away from God, the Lord is so merciful and so kind. He went out of his way, and I love him so much. Jesus can be honoring. He knew that they weren't catching any fish. Hey, you caught anything? He knew they didn't have nothing, because now he's all God. He's back to being all God. He knows everything again. He's been raised from the dead. He's, he's in a human body. He's got some, he's got some bones and some flesh, and, but he's God, all God. Caught anything? And he's up there cooking something. Ooh, heavenly fish. I don't know. Can't wait to have some of that. And then remember he had his encounter with Peter. Peter, what did he say to him? Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Remember what, what, what Peter answered? Lord, you know I phileo you. What is that? You want me up here, but right now I'm just a brotherly love. I, 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 I I'm not there. And then he said to him by faith, go feed my sheep. Because the Lord even, I love the Lord. He even knows when you're not doing well, he knows your future because he knows you're going to come around. He knows you're going to come around. He knows you're going to do the right thing. And so he's going to tell you your future. Even in right where you're at right now, he thinks, you think he ought to beat you up, but he's going to tell you your future. So go feed my sheep. He said, he said to him, do you, do you uh, uh, agape me, Peter? And he's like, Lord, getting a little irritated. Peter said, you know where I'm at. You know we're at brotherly love right now. He said, go feed my little lambs. Go take care of them. And then I love him. I love him, I love him, I love him. I, he's the almighty. He's so good. But he'll even meet you where you're at. If you're in this room today and Maybe you've been away from God. He's ready to meet you where you're at. You don't have to get to be a certain special somebody for Jesus to love you and for Jesus to help you. He'll help you right where you're at. And we need to have that heart for everyone. He'll help them right where they're at. The biggest sinner, the nastiest person, there's hope for them if they'll respond. You and I should never give up on anybody while there's breath within them. He said, Peter, do you phileo? Do you brotherly love me? And he said, you know, Lord, I do. And he said, when you've come back, take care of your brethren. Encourage your brethren. Provoke your brethren, so to speak. Get them ready. And then Peter did what? He was there on the day of Pentecost, scheduled to preach the first Pentecostal meeting, explaining to everybody what just happened.